We've got the boys here from Free Train who took the brand from zero to 10 million inside three years. I've had to have some balls to turn down Adidas and go, no, no, we're going to do it ourselves. Can you just talk into what some of these Chinese factories are like and what some of these people go through? Get to know yourself as well as you can. We learned from that point on, greed kills and you never do that again. When making decisions for yourself, make it the decision that you would want for your child. Not enough of us question our narratives in our life. It's by questioning the narrative that you allow your brand to grow, you allow your mind to open and everything to start to fit into places because you have to question everything that you think you know the rage that went through me at the time in terms of dealing with that disappointment I'd never had anything like that and I've never experienced anything like that since I started drinking I was going to the casino losing it all I think a real lesson we've learned is if something's too good to be true it normally is first things first guys before we get started with this podcast do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now whether that's YouTube Spotify Apple Podcasts I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee Podcast. Today, guys, I have got you another absolute barnstormer. We've got the boys here from Free Train who took the brand from zero to 10 million inside three years. An absolute unbelievable story and going to drop some unbelievable value on this podcast. We've got James. We've got Jack. Welcome to the show, boys. Thanks for having us, Frankie. Thank you for coming to the ghetto to record it. I appreciate it. But look, boys, you've had a phenomenal journey in the last three and a half, four years. And before that, because obviously you both started in in the in the pro game. Obviously, you played. I think you both played at Burton, but you played at Villa, didn't you, as well, Jack? So, like, give me a bit of an insight into into growing up, Jack, and obviously getting into football and and kind of and your passion for that. Um, I think you know football was everything for me growing up. Um, I joined the Villa at seven, uh, and then ended up leaving there when I was eighteen. So I got released just before professional contract, and it literally was everything. Um, you know, right from kind of day one, uh, wanted to be a professional footballer, loved everything about it. Um, and even, you know, growing up, as you started to get a little bit older, it was just magic, you know. Um, my kind of upbringing through the villa was brilliant. The, some of the best facilities in the country. Um, villa were doing really well at the time. So it was just, yeah, it was it was seriously good. At my first year as a scholarship, when we kind of went full-time, um, they had a brand new training facility, which was just, just magic, even at school. I think from like year... Nine. I used to do one day a week full time with the villa, which was just classy. Doing like four days at school, which is like again, every, it's mental, isn't it? When, when you're like you're like seven or eight, you're getting one day off a week yeah. to go play football. Class. I used to train on a Monday night, stop over at a hotel, uh, train all day Tuesday, and then back to school Wednesday. So it was just it was wicked, you know. Like I wouldn't change it for the world, literally. And the lessons it it taught me um, it was wicked, you know. Went went around Europe playing. Uh, we went on to Germany on tour. And then started my scholarship when I was sixteen. That was full time, so that went. That's when it got like serious, um, which again was 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 brilliant. You know, looking back, but a lot of pressure involved, um, a lot of learnings that I have, you know, with me day to day now, really. So um, it kind of yeah, it was everything. And then I left uh, Villa when I was uh, eighteen and went to Burton Albion, where our journey started. 
And that was a real change, um, the first big change in my football career, really, because it went from kind of youth team, you're with a bunch of 18-year-olds, and then all of a sudden you're in the adult change room, signed a professional contract at Burton Albion. They were in League Two at the time. Um, and again, that was like a different form of pressure because you're surrounded with, you know, proper football now. You're, you're playing on yeah. for three points on a Saturday, which was, again, a lot, a lot of pressure. And I think... Because obviously you've just played reserves up until that point, right? Yeah, it was youth team football and reserves, and which is great. Uh, ironically, I felt there was more pressure in that with kind of 30, 40 people watching on the sides than going to Burton and playing in front of, you know, three or 4,000 people, men's football, which was crazy, really. And I think that was... You know, from a number of things, really. But I always remember when I got I got released and I went to Burton. Uh, was kind of the first time where I thought, actually, I feel like the pressure's off a little bit here because from seven years old to eighteen at the Villa, it was just very intense all the time. And then going to Burton, yeah, weight off my shoulders, and actually played my best football then, and had um, yeah four and a half years at Burton, which was brilliant um, in League Two. Um, and then, yeah, kind of the, the the ship slowly started to go downhill, injuries and stuff like that. But in sort of in the first period of my life, football was everything really. And looking back now, so many lessons to take into the world that I'm currently in. And obviously, a big thing in that was meeting uh, my mate meeting here, meeting the big man. And where did and where did you start playing football? Um, so I started at Warsaw. Um, Talked about that earlier. Uh, and do you know what? I think. Uh, my background and Jack's background are two of the same but almost completely different because that was a little bit like the Wild West. Um, a lack of facilities, um, you know, kind of the last stop for a lot of young kids when they've been released by clubs. And I started there from the age of eight and I've seen all manner of competition come in from um, different clubs and whatnot. And then, yeah, very similar journey. But I'd say the one thing about Warsaw when I was coming through, there was that, touch of say unprofessionalism maybe old school uh, I'd be going in with the youth team from the age of 13 14 and you talk about grounding it was just incredible because I mean some of the pranks that were being pulled on a daily basis you were around the training ground you had to do the jobs like sweeping up the hallways cleaning first teamers boots um, pumping up footballs and if you didn't do that right you would catch hell from the first team um, playing in the reserves almost having to give up our pitch when the first team came. So uh, one of the stories is uh, when it used to snow, the first team would leave their training ground and come down to the stadium. We used to have to get the shovels and shovel the snow off the AstroTurf so they could train. And you'd look out the window and you'd see half the pitch of AstroTurf for the pros and then the other side of snow, which is where we train. And it was just carnage, but um, a very similar thing. I think the grounding that I had there and the toughness of it has almost set me up for the rest of my life really for for the business side and the element you have to go through i mean i, I want to ask you both what it's like you know the the, the day at these because obviously you're both at these clubs aston villa warsaw respectively similar area clubs right what's it like the day the manager pulls you in to tell you that you you're both getting released interesting I, I remember mine like it was yesterday i think especially being there from such a young age it's almost led up to the point where the big contract is the pro contract so you've done your kind of youth team, had two years full-time, which is brilliant. And then, yeah, it's all leading to that day. And I think in my age group, there was 13 of us. Um, and I think they kept three on as pro contracts. So they let like 10 of us go. And even in that, you're never sure how many they're going to take on as pro contracts. You know, how how full is the reserves? What are the first team looking for? 
Um, and I thought, you know, I thought I was going to get one. I suppose at that age, you think, well, you know, I've had a good season. I've, I've, I've done well on my scholarship because you're not going to go straight into the first team. So maybe a couple of years in the reserves, you know, get up to kind of 20 years old and then maybe into the first team. But yeah, walked into the academy director's office uh, and I remember the exact words he said. It was, uh, if it was based on attitude, we'd give you a three-year contract. But on technical ability, we don't think you're good enough to play in the Premier League. And that was that really. Went back into the change room where all the lads were and we, we all kind of waited for each other. Everyone was going in individually and the three they kept on, you know, amazing. And some of these lads you've been mates with from seven years old. Some of you are some of them playing big, big, big games now. Nah, there's there's one lad still playing, he plays for Birmingham in the championship. Um but but weirdly, when we kind of got released, I was the only one to get back into a pro club. So I you know, I count my blessings on that because to be completely honest, out of the ten that got released, there was some some better players than me in that and it's so, so cutthroat because you get released you think well sound I'll, I'll drop down to the championship or league one league two get another pro contract and you know I'm on my way then that's what you all think and it was it was a, it was a reality you know I knew I was fucked to be honest um, <laughs> I had uh, so my my journey with Warsaw I had a coach called Mick Halsall phenomenal coach real great man manager and I was a little bit of a wild card when I was a kid, uh, but he just understood me. Um, he let me be me. Um, and like I say, I was just out of the box, but I, I was expressive, just even in my ways. And then uh, he left, he got the job at Wolves and Dean Smith took over and he was our youth team manager. And I think our personalities just clashed. Um, I just probably wasn't his cup of tea, which is fairly understood. He was our youth team manager and then uh, he got the first team job. And the day that that happened, it was like, right, well, this is it. Let's let's look for other alternatives. But you're kind of hopeful. Um, I'd had a fantastic season in the youth team. Uh, I had a load of clubs kind of sniffing around me and stuff, which was brilliant. And I knew I backed myself as a player. So I kind of walked into that, that meeting and I was the first one in. Uh, and obviously all the other lads were down the bottom. And it's, it's a similar story. The, you At Walsley, it was with the manager. I walked in that room and I'm going three, two, one. You're not, gonna, you're not getting a contract. And it was as simple as that. I pretty much got up and walked out. There was no, I didn't want to listen to what they had to say um, because I knew what they were going to say. They were talking about temperament and that sort of thing. But I think everybody's different. And I think, you know, we talk about the lessons that you learn. I take that into today's world and we'd say some of our staff, everybody is different. And yes, it has to, they have to fit, but you have to respect people for being you know how they are yeah, yeah. how they be, are be, being their authentic selves essentially absolutely yeah um and then yeah so that i walked out of that room knew knew the crack uh, and i went on trial to brighton straight away uh and they'd just gone up to the championship which was phenomenal because i'd gone from like i say Warsaw, where there was almost no facilities and brighton had just moved to the new training ground the new stadium um so yeah i always yeah, i kind of just bounced into it so to be honest Whilst I knew there was going to be a hard time, I also knew that there was a lot of opportunity out there as well and I didn't want it to hold me back. The real kick in the teeth was Brighton, um, where I'd had a phenomenal pre-season. It, being, me being a goalkeeper, I was in the top group for running uh, and to the point where the the uh, fitness coach was like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going off with the goalkeepers. He couldn't believe I was a goalkeeper. Um, but yeah, I was in and around the first team. I, di- I did really well. I uh, went into the office Again, they told me exactly where I was going to live, the type of money I was going to be on, who I was sharing the house with. I've gone back to Birmingham on the Friday. 
on the Monday they've called me. They've said, can't do this deal. Uh, we've just signed Craig McHale-Smith. Um, we've thrown everything at it. and We've got to sell two or three players before we can even bring one in. And I remember having that phone call and the rage that went through me at the time in terms of dealing with that disappointment. I'd never had anything like that and I've never experienced anything like that since in terms of personal disappointment. Um, and that was just like I remember talking to my dad and I was like spitting feathers about it. I couldn't understand why it had happened, uh, why me and that sort of thing. And to be honest, the aftermath of that continued for a good three months after. And when I say I went off the rails, I didn't drink up until this point. I started going out with my pals, I started drinking. I was going to the casino at about 10pm at night and not leaving until closing time at 6am. Um, just doing just doing my bolt in the, in the casino, sometimes coming out with loads of dough going in the next night and then losing it all. And when I say I was off the rails, my first, um, I'd, I'd, my dad knew uh, someone who was at Burton who'd had a conversation with the goalkeeper coach. He was like, just come in and train. And my first training session at Burton, I'd been to the casino. I didn't get out of the casino until 4am and I've just rocked in, started training. Um, but because I had nothing to lose, no weight on my shoulders, I'd, I trained really well. Um, but again, I was still that box of frogs. But when you talk about sort of that real kick in the teeth of thinking everything's going to be great and you've done everything you can and you know you've ticked every box for that to the floor to cave in, I've had that experience of three months where my head had just completely gone and I was in a bad place. I didn't know how bad of a place it was at the time, but now I look back and I go, bloody hell, like I, I really could have gone down another road if it wasn't just for my dad picking up the phone and me training somewhere and then offering me a deal but yeah it's yeah talking of say experiences setting you up for life um the Brighton experience was massive for me I think it's so much easier isn't it when you connect the dots going backwards for you two to see why certain things happened in your life and how they kind of delivered you to this point in your life that you are now and so what would your advice be then to people out there that have got these businesses, got these brands, trying to do things within sport, they're trying to, they, they're trying to, if you're trying, would, you, would your advice be if they're trying to push, maybe just to pause and kind of ascertain whether they're trying to push him even in the right direction? It's a, it's a good question. I think rather than going too deep on it, I think what we were speaking about earlier is just kind of, everyone says that they enjoy the process and stuff, but yeah, just understand that it is going to be a journey, whether that's from, you know, playing football at 16 until, until now where we are along that. It was never like, ah, oh, this day switches off. I'm, I'm going to be a businessman now. It was just like, you think about the journey and I'd just say, yeah, as long as you're applying yourself in the right way, um, in general, you've just got to appreciate the journey because I, I mean, I believe that everyone is is on a journey and and appreciate those those moments in time as you're on that journey, really. Yeah, I, I, and we were talking before the podcast about the, this book that I, I'm, I'm rereading. It's called The Power Now by Eckhart Tolle, and it's and if you guys haven't read it, like you should 100 percent get involved in that book because that book just gets you so present with where you are you kind of really start to appreciate. And when you start to really appreciate your whole life where you are are at now, it allows you to to go to these new levels that you have never even knew were possible. It's something that's helped me at, the, at this moment. I just wanted to tell you all to dial into that book. But you boys then, obviously, you 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 get, you get end up at Burton together. You're playing, 
you're playing football, obviously you're just rocking up out of the casino, just fucking, just, you know, you might have lost 10 grand or might have won 10 grand, whatever you've done. How did you kind of culminate into forming this relationship together and kind of becoming friends? Because like in football clubs, it's a little bit clicky in some respects, especially with certain positions as well. Yeah, um, I think we just kind of got thrown together, really. Uh, you kind of find out that you guys live in the same area and then the senior pros just go, you two live You two live close to each other, you're not getting paid much money. Um, just, you know, uh, you can car share together and it was literally as simple as that and it's like anything, you don't know the beginning of any journey until you look back and you go, bloody hell, that was a moment, that was, that was definitive. That was pivotal, yeah. Yeah, and I can't even remember who said, like, you two should travel in together but... You know, that happens, you meet up at McDonald's and you start jumping in the car, tunes go and you start knowing the same people and whatnot. And then I think the, big, the biggest thing was almost like just having the having the same morals more than anything, you know. Um, you, you Whether you've got the same interests, you just go, this guy's a good guy. And I think the one thing that we've always had is the truth we, will always be spoken. So if one of us had had a bad game and it was like, what do you think of that? he was always like, well, you could have done this better or I can see where the gaffer's coming from when this is said. Because if not, you're just fueling the fire and that's when clicks and, you know, dressing rooms crumble or fr- friendships are built on falsehood because if you're thinking one thing and saying another, at some it's not point... not congruent, truth, yeah. Yeah, at some point the truth will come out, you know. Yeah, I think I think the, the congruency, like when you're obviously two founders coming together... As, as we know, there's been many, many famous founders, especially from Birmingham, that have like fell out and, and stuff along their journeys. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and things have had to, things have had to be, be done different. But I think having a, having that understanding that was built from you getting in the car, going to training together and understanding each other, the mechanics of like, okay, this is how I pick you up from a bad day and a bad game. And this is how I pick you up from a bad game and a bad day. And it's kind of all those learnings so that when you come together and you formulate, these start to talk about business, start to talk about ideas that you can work together with. Is that kind of how it how it felt? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. definitely. I think, yeah, understanding each other when you're younger as well, because it was just so raw, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. We chucked in the car, and just to give people a little bit of context as well, because sometimes I think when you talk about like pro football, it's like, I mean, it, at Burton, it was a case of jumping in together in the same car to save, you know, save fuel costs. I mean, my first contract at Burton was like 250 quid a week. I think sometimes people, or they may be listening, going... And that's a pro contract. Exactly, yeah. So it literally was, you know, you know, saving money and stuff. But I think you're dead right. It's kind of, you know, learning what people are like in, in the early stages. And even in our relationship, you start to, you know, what's his buzz or, you know, how do you, like you say, pick someone up when they're down and stuff. And even when we used to travel in... There were certain things that were like so aligned and similar, and then other things which couldn't be, you know, couldn't be different. Even the way we used to go into training and stuff, mm-hmm. he'd be having a Lucas Aid and Mars bar on the way down to training, and I'd be like probably having me banana. And just even in that, it was like you were more out there, I was more, you know, kind of I say a bit more stable, yeah. really. But that that was the easy part, though, the the football side of things, because you talk about this relationship and whatnot, because it was football, and because we are of a similar mindset. That was easy to do. But I think the nuances start is when you kind of go into business. So the interesting thing is we've friends first before business. Yeah. But then when the business start, side starts and you do start spending a lot of time together, there have been altercations, I say altercations, there have been disagreements and, 
you know, there have been really heated moments and they probably happened at the start and I think it's just where you iron out the relationship and you know you push pull moments. Um, I remember a time when we were so the way we funded the whole project was we were um we were in schools and we were doing a we're doing like we were teaching the lads football and then we were doing fitness classes after school. Um and one of the days we'd had we just had this quote come back from this company um, and we'd had a disagreement on the quote whether we should go through with it or not. I think like the the price was really high and we were deciding which direction we should go within the business. And it'd gone on for a couple of days and it had rumbled up to the point where like it was, you know, we were the last car sitting on this car park and it was like inches away from, you know, a lack of a better word of saying, going off really. But then you come away from those situations, you have conversations, then you articulate it and then from that point you learn right well this is the jump off moment this is the point where if you're feeling a certain way we got to put we got to put a pin in it we've got to go our separate ways for half a day a day come back to the drawing board and if it happens again you do the same thing and the one thing that is the positive and the negative about this relationship is is decisions take a while because there's two sides there's two thoughts but we will not move forward until both of us are happy with the scenario. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the dynamics of the relationship and travelling in together, we've probably spent more time with each other over the last 10 years than any other human being in our in our circles or life. Yeah, because no matter what happened in your day, at the start and the end of every day, you're in the car together reflecting on that and reflecting on what you've learned and reflecting on where you're going together. And like, you could have had a bad day, you could have had a good day. So you learn to process all those emotions together, don't you? Because in football, it's very, there's no, there's no middle ground. It's either you're elated and buzzing because you've, you've, you've won, you've won, you've got a place in the first team or you've won that week or you're in the ship because you've just been done seven nil by someone else in in a lower position than you do you know what i'm saying there's no there's no middle ground in, in stuff like that is there mm. no not at, all. not at all yeah um I'd, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing but there are more lows than highs especially when it comes to football you'd or especially for me we'd win on a saturday or you'd play well and then i would enjoy the dressing room until you've had your shower you've got your stuff on and then it'd be shit what about the next game? Am I going to play well the next game? Training? Am I going to be in the team? Yeah. Um, some people it might last for longer. But if you lose that game on that Saturday, you've got that negative feeling all the way up until you do something positive. And that was... And the pressure as well. And the, you know, and, yeah. and you, you kind of, I suppose, pressurising each other on the way, on that journey there, like we've got to win this week. You know what I mean? We lost last week. We got done 3-0. We've got to, you know, you kind of... You know, you're the goalkeeper. You're what position were you playing? Centre mid. Centre mid, right? So, so it's like you know, there's a there's a whole lot of pressure from coming from different positions on the pitch. It's it's a it's a dynamic that's it. You you're literally sitting in the boiling pot because if you make a mistake in the midfield and you cause and you put the defender or the and then the defender behind you puts someone on side and then you and then you're left carrying the bag and then you you know you've just been put one past. Yeah, it's it's like that, those kind of conversations now are causing stress in that car. It's like a whole dynamic that people don't even consider in in, in that game. Yeah. But obviously, you boys then you go on and you, you start talking about business and start to throw ideas around about how you can start making money. Because obviously, you boys must be thinking when you're traveling down to Burton, going, do you know what? We're we're we're, we're driving all this way. Football, football, two hundred fifty 
250 notes each year it's not really not really about it no more the thing the thing with it Burton it was still the opportunity that that was still we've got a chance here um it, the kind of business stuff came after we both left Burton um we actually joined back up at a, a non-league uh, club Nuneaton um now obviously the friendship built and we always had conversations around like the, the one common denominator was like we wanted to be great at something we wanted to be like the best at something and the reality was, unfortunately, at League Two, certainly from from my my point of view, as I sorted started to see the decline, it was like I don't think I'm going to play in the Premier League. Um, I'm quite realistic; I can see yeah. the players in the league above, and I don't really think I'm better than them. Um, and that was kind of. But the one thing was, is it's got to be in something like always had that hunger and determination and passion to not be average. Really, that's again, it's a bit of a quote, but like. My biggest fear is, you know, being average. You know, I want to be want to be the best at something, and that was almost like, as we transitioned to the next club, Nuneaton, it was like, come on, we have to think of something else because now the chances of getting to the to the top league is like it's so slim. So we know we've spent a lot of time with each other now. We're good friends. Like we've got this passion. How do we? What is that passion? And that's when we started spitballing different ideas. Well, and, what we're going to do? And I suppose you boys are on a year contract to Nuneaton at the time. I suppose. Yeah, but that was just. That was terrible, um, being honest. And I think it's the first time we kind of, and uh, from my side of things, that has always been the mindset to be the best, to win. So if I get beat, coming back to, you know, to beat you again. Um, and then we get to Nuneaton and where you had that goal of training every single day, you're training twice a week. Uh, you've like, whether you've been at Graft in the day, and then you're in the car and it's like six o'clock or, you know, the training ground's not great or a lot of these lads, it's last chance saloon for them or it's the it's the end of the line. The professionalism or the want to kick on just wasn't there for a lot of people. And that was the realisation because if you really strip myself back and you say, uh, at that stage, did you still think you could be the best? Absolutely, yeah. Um but as soon as that goes, it's like, what's the point? Yeah, you, you, you're out of there. You are out of there. And then it was the whole, you know, thinking about the amount of hours we had in the day. I don't think we had sort of part-time jobs at the time, but we were going, say, there's Monday to Friday and we're only training Tuesday, Thursday, playing on a Saturday. What else can we do? And we had countless amounts of ideas. Uh, some ideas have gone out there and made millions of pounds, like portable blenders. Uh, one of the first things we wanted to do was like renovating houses, so buy a run-down house, do it up and sell it, just because we said the one asset that we have is time. Um, and we tell everybody that, especially young footballers, we probably wish we'd have started when we were 18, but you know, we had time to go and paint walls in a house or go and look at carpets and that sort of thing. Um, so it was that whole idea about this avenue is blocked where's the next one um and again with that we had massive plans we were thinking about the end goal was to buy, buy plots of land and build houses you know yeah um, so it was never just a oh we'll do this on the side it was whatever we throw ourselves into it is to do it mega it is to do it at the top level um and you know if that doesn't happen with football if it's a throwaway we've got to do it with something else and that's essentially the driving force to to get us to where we are with free train, really. I love it, but there's a few things that failed along the way to you finding free train and obviously getting all that up to there. What what kind of things did you try that didn't work out for you? Well, first thing we tried, Jay just touched on it was the housing thing. So we thought we'll we'll 
we'll buy a house or we'll try and use someone else's money to buy a house and do it up and OPM. sell it. Keep, yeah. the, keep the profits like, but Bit of Grant Cardone boys. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was, that was that. I and mean, you know, we'd, we'd even from day dot, it was like, well, let's put a little, let's put a little plan together. Like, you know, little A4 sheet. Well, what do we need? We'll paint hundred quid and like new kitchen's going to be this. Just, just almost like we didn't, we always had together, we could knock it ideas off each other and say, <coughs> what about this? And it was all like, yeah, good good idea. Let's run with that for a little bit. And we didn't really, there, there was together, there, there was that mindset to go, like, we're just going to do it. Like, and we never really shut each other down. It was like, let's let's just move forward with it. Um, and yeah, it was like, well, of course we can get a house. Like, there's loads from sale, the cheap. We need some money to do it. How are we going to do that? And that was the first thing we tried to put a business plan together in terms of pricings, costings. And we knew, let's say, for example, if there was, 20 grand profit in it well, to someone with the right amount of money surely if we can give them a little profit share on it they can take five grand it's better interest than they're going to get in the bank and we'll split the rest but we'll do all the work but we do need some money to do that so if we put a plan together and it's solid surely we can present this plan to someone who's you know got the right wealth and they can go all right lads i believe in your vision that was the first thing that we that we tried to do and when you when you're putting together these deals and finding these houses that you thought would be profitable what kind of happened from there well, again, we, we were completely stupid because we went bullet gate thinking someone's going to give us a load of dough and because we've got time in the day, we'll do it. We're looking at 300 grand barn conversions and going, yeah, we'll just extend on the back. Literally, we had that sort of mentality and that mindset of things are unlimited, you can do this. There, there, was, there was, I think the way to describe it is there's no fear. Um, and then, you know, you kind of speak to people and they pull you back and they go, well, start slowly. Start with just like the stuff that you can manage yourselves and whatnot. And um, yeah, it was literally just almost starting. And we, I suppose we've got this with free train now. It's start with the biggest, brightest vision and work backwards and work back to the starting point. What is feasible, what is doable for now. Um, so that's essentially where we ended up. We ended up at a house that just needed a lick of paint and a new kitchen and bathroom. Um, but again, we were in hindsight probably too young. We were still sort of nineteen, twenty at that time. Um, and the guy we were going to borrow the money from looked at it and went, "Lads, listen, you're just too young." And that was, to be honest, that was a ma- another massive blow for us. But we had that thick skin or that mentality to go right. We'll go again. The next idea was a portable blender. Knew nothing about electronics. Um, had a good idea for it, but the real kickstart a free train was an app and again a stupid idea of an app we thought we could could compete with the likes of instagram Uh, i think myspace was sort of coming to its death then um and facebook and what we wanted to do was create like a fitness hub but it was a rip-off of instagram we didn't see it at the time we thought this is the best app in the world it's going to have its nutrition side of things here it's exercise side of here mindset here um like local gyms here and we, we sat there with this lad and it was very, very like grassroots in terms of sitting there with a mind map of you're going to click through here and then it's going to be this and then it's going to be that. Um, and again, we realised the effort that it would take to get there was going to be astronomical. We went to see an app developer and he said, yep, no problem, lads, we can build this. It's starting off at 40 grand. You can imagine the first thing then, shit, what do we do? So... Again, us being the way that we are, we thought, right, we've got to do something. We've got to sell something physical. Um, and at that point, it was, do we sell clothes? Everyone's selling clothes. Do we, you know, do we sell our knowledge? So do we do football stuff? 
thinking 40 grand that's going to take a while to get to and then it just so happened that as we were spitballing these ideas it was close season where we were running and training and thinking right got to get fit for the new season and I remember exactly where I was at this time I was sat on the field we were on the phone and we'd been for a run the day before and he was like oh why don't we come up with something to hold your phone and we were inspired by all the things we knew you know like the stat sports vests what people wear yeah he was like right let's do something that you can wear and let's make this thing for ourselves. And when we got to that point of making something that was perfect for ourselves, we could stand behind it. We went to see people. People tried to pick holes in it. They couldn't pick holes in it. And we knew then that we really had something. Because wasn't there a moment as well? Because through that, after you kind of, you made the rudimental design um, on the on the field through trial and error and stuff like that. And you kind of, I think you didn't, you one of your nans or something, knit the vest or something like so yeah. I was I was reading about it some one of your nans like sewed it up or whatever but there was a pivotal point where you were on a sales sales call because you were doing a sales job to supplement your football weren't you Jack and then yes. you, you you go you turn up at this random house and you knock on the door to sell this whatever bullshit you were selling <laughs> and it just so happened to be the head of product design at Adidas yeah um massive massive part in the journey really because we believed in it and it was almost like we needed someone else to say, lad, you, you're really on something here. Because it was an invention. It was There was nothing out there like it. Um, so I went along on this sales call, kind of doing my job and stuff. And he, he, he says to me in the house, yeah, I'm, I'm just retired from Adidas, had a product development for 22 years. So I'm thinking, wow, beautiful house in Shrewsbury. Um, I think he'd done very well for himself. I looks of it, he'd headed up, I think he said, uh, 700 employees in China for about 13 years. So he was clued up, this guy was, so luckily managed to do the deal. Uh, and then I said, look, I've, I've got to kind of show you this idea. Showed him the idea and he was like, that's brilliant. I said, okay, well, love to come back. I want to come back with my business partner and we want to show it you properly. So I spoke to Jay and then we literally went back a week later, kind of said to him, look, shouldn't really be saying that on the sales call, but again, just take the opportunity, like what's the worst that can happen? So I went back round and then we presented the idea properly. Um, and he literally couldn't believe it, couldn't believe that this product hadn't been out there before, no one was doing it, um, and his first his first words were, that's genius, and I think the level of kind of expertise he had in that field, product development at Adidas, that was one of the first times where we want, where we, we went, it's not just us that thinks that, that's real validation, that this is a serious product, um, and he loved the idea of it, talking about the vest itself, how symmetrical it was. It wouldn't affect runners kind of imbalancing as soon as they go over like 5K. The knowledge he had was like unbelievable. And he was like, you know, it's such a simple idea. You've solved the problem of where do you put your phone when you run, which for us was just brilliant because that was like, well, we, we can do this. We've had a little nod of someone say, you're onto something, lads, let's run with it. I mean, you know, ironically, one of the things he, he said is, you know, Adidas will buy this off you straight away. So again, we're probably six months into this, trying to fund it ourselves, doing the kids' coaching at schools, thinking, doing these prototypes and stitching them, cutting them out of tops and stuff, getting it to the stage where we think, actually, that that, that works now. Could we just sell this idea to Adidas? What, what, what did he kind of say that Adidas would have paid for that idea? He didn't say anything at the time, but there was, you know, <coughs> we've seen like the Predator football boot that was designed by someone, sold the rights to Adidas and stuff, and... You know, it was the the big thing in that is we, we hadn't even started our journey, and I think the one thing we were very we wanted to do at the start was get the protection around the product which we had. But Adidas wouldn't sign a non disclosure for us to send them 
send them the product. So essentially, if we'd have sent it to Adidas and they'd have gone, um, you know, we fancy doing this, lads. At that stage of our, you know, journey, we'd have had a hard, you know, battle, you know, telling so, them to stop, really. Yeah, so basically, if you'd sent it, even though you'd... Pre- you, had you pay, yeah, patented, patented it? Yeah, it, we, we were still, at that time, we were still in the process. And you can imagine that's like a, it was, it was a make or break moment, really, for us to turn down Adidas, essentially. But you think we were, we were toying with the idea of selling it, but you do the maths on the amount of runners there are worldwide, and you see what the royalties the guy from Predator made, um, or the guy who invented the Predator made. So we, you know, it's, it's almost a case of, having to turn down a ready-made thing there. We were looking at percentages of sales and whatnot, and we didn't know what that would be. And we're thinking, right, we're going to have to get suited and booted, fly over to Germany and see these guys. And I I think that's probably one of the biggest things for us where we've had to pat ourselves on the back and say, we've had to have some balls to turn down Adidas and go, no, no, we're going to do it ourselves. Because like we say, we're still in that process of really shoring up the, the IP and yeah, it, it was just that jump off point. Whether we trust a big organisation like Adidas or yeah, we do it ourselves. Mm. And he, his reaction as well was everything. Because if he'd have yeah. said, "Oh, yeah, that's a decent idea," but he was like, "This is genius." And I think and, and obviously like he's that. probably talked to his friends inside Adidas to get you the meeting, so they know yeah. they that th- they wouldn't be sitting that meeting if they if they didn't think they were gonna. In, he's probably told them on the phone that this product's a good product. Like you've got to you've got to get this product. Yeah, but. Do, do you know what as well? I have to say to him, he was brilliant with us because he could have he could have shafted us. He could have said, "Right, guys." He could have told them the idea, but he he wanted to help us as people, which is you know. And you talk about the journey and the people you meet along the way. We could have run into the troll under the bridge, and we never. We 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 actually. He said he. I remember him saying to us, "This is like unbelievable. The fact that they won't sign anything." And he kind of gave us that reassurance to go. No, we're making the right decision. Yeah, I think I think you need in in life, all through your life, especially in business, you meet guides, and these guides that you meet, you meet some guides guides that teach you a lesson and lead you into a bad spot, and you have to learn from that. And then you have guides that unlock doors to whole new dimensions that you've never seen in business before. And I think this just this just gave you the the encouragement to protect the idea, didn't it? Because I don't think the idea was protected when you initially went to him, was it? We're in the process of it, but even at the day one, it was like. We are self-funding this ourselves. We're doing the coaching. We're trying to get the cash to make prototypes and stuff. So we're having conversations and ended up doing it. But at that time, it was like, well, you know, that ain't, ain't going to be like dirt cheap. That's going to be a couple of grand to start this process. But we were aware of it. So. What, what did it cost you protect, to protect the idea back in the day? Overall, about five grand when you take everything into consideration. Which I imagine at, at the time that you're doing it was a lot of cash to you. <laughs> it was every, near, near enough everything, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and kind of, do you remember back to that conversation? Whereas you know you sat there as these two founders who think they've created this brand, but you've actually physically not gone and sold loads of units, so you don't know if you've got a brand yet. But you sat in the car going, "We can't release this until we've protected it. Otherwise, we're going to get floored with it." Well, how did that conversation go? How did you kind of feel? Was there any like was there any lack within you? Like, oh, can we even do this? Um, no, I think, I think the one thing we have to commend ourselves for is we're very brave with the things that we do. And there are sometimes shortcuts and I'm sure we'll speak about them later on. Some of the things that have cropped up, but everything that we ever do kind of goes through the ringer. 
um, again, I, I can't remember exactly, but there were reservations between us whether we should just go for it and do it anyway, which would have been a brave decision. But we talk everything through all the time. And, you know, I think we have that moment where we'll look at each other and we, we used to spend hours in David Lloyd's. We'd do a gym session and we'd sit there for three or four hours after. And, it, and you know, we'd kind of get to that point and push each other on and, and G each other up to the point where it's, no, well, fuck Adidas. We can do this ourselves. If it's that good of an idea, the cream will rise to the top. And we, yeah, and and we took that decision to go, do you know what? We're going to have a go at it ourselves. We so, believed in it massively. Yeah. And I'm, I think, sorry, I think that's a great thing of a lesson to, or even just a, if you can have someone around you that you can voice things to and just bounce ideas off. Because if that was like individual mindset, you might have, you might have listened to that conversation with the Adidas guy and gone, God, well, I've got to take that. But always having two of you, the amount of times we've we've taken a step back and really discussed things and like, nah, that's the right decision. I think, yeah, I think having two of you, like, although it can cause dramas, it, it's also very good to have that sounding board because you can almost talk yourself out of some of the brave decisions that you can make in your life and, and not move through certain things because you you have that doubt, you have that fear. And I've, I've always found for me, on, on the other side of the fear, on, on whatever's most painful is, is always the, the most growth, you know? And I think with this for you, it's like it was painful dropping five grand on the on the pat, pattern. But at the end of the day, if you don't do that, you've got no, you've got nothing. So you've come all that way. You've done your nan's been sewing it. Like you, you got to, you got to just risk it for a chocolate biscuit. And what's five grand in the grand scheme of things in life? You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. got, you have to roll the dice. But you, 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 you then get this pattern, and you've and you've got this thing now. So now you know you're protected. What was kind of the next plan of attack? Because I'm. Didn't you start producing them in the UK? Yeah, Wolverhampton, uh, literally just down the road. So again, uh, we've got we've, the amount of experience that we amassed over the two years of idea to actually getting them made was just phenomenal. Um, so the fat traps came about by us working with these development companies all the time, and that's a story within itself because the amount of people that have either tried to rob us or take us down a different path with their own views of the idea has been a journey within itself. I mean, it, it took us two years when if we'd have found this factory in Wolverhampton to begin with, it probably would have taken us three months based off our idea being tweaked, based off people saying they can do this and they can't do that. We went through four product development companies who took us so far and then took us back three steps and then we met this factory in Wolverhampton with this uh, lovely girl called Gina who you just pick up the phone to and she'd make a sample after sample. We'd get it, we'd wear it, we'd tweak it to the point where we knew exactly how many units we'd get from a sheet of neoprene. Um, We had to kind of take different materials or take different inspiration off other ideas and then we'd be speaking to these factories in China at 2am in the morning um, and they'd be sending all the components over and then we'd have the components come over to the UK uh, and then we'd have we'd had like a roller neoprene we were running out, running out and then we finally got the final product and then at that point we just had to go and get these phone cases made in China sent to the UK we had the neoprene come over and then we took the neoprene to another factory um, in West Bromwich and the guy was phoning us up going you're going to have to come and get your stuff it's killing all my stuff the smell of the fumes because they hadn't aired out the, the ink dye, but it it, it um yeah. So the China just sent it over. They hadn't let it air. This guy's brought it in the factory, 
and he had to send half his workforce home. And we're like 22, 23. And he's going, he's going, you're going to have to come and get your stuff. We're going, please, mate, we're so close. And then finally we talked him round and he got them dived, he got them, uh, he got them cut for us. And then we had to go and pick them up in this little like shoddy van, drive it over to Wolverhampton. And then they knocked out 500 for us. Um, they took all the components and made it um, in about the space of four weeks. It was incredible. We had these 500 vests sitting in our houses going, right, well, how the bloody hell are we going to sell these? So you, so you literally got them made and you, and you just didn't have any idea at, when, once you got them made how you were going to sell them, how you are going to market them or anything. It's just literally like go all in on the pattern and, 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 and go all in on the manufacturing. So you were shipping in the components then from a Chinese factory. How did you go about um, sourcing the right neoprene from the factories and how did you go about sourcing the right phone cases and stuff? I was going to say that before you asked that question that the ironic thing is in that like two years or let's say from like idea year and a half to having those 500 we had like no experience in <coughs> anything so for example nothing in engineering nothing in materials what's the right plastic clip or neoprene you know you get experts in these fields where they go oh, this is the type of neoprene you need and because it was something we couldn't just send off and say like make this we had to keep our cards close to our chest because you know we were scared of someone like running off with the idea. Because so that's why you, that's why I presume you got it made as the vest and you got it made as the phone case and then you're bringing it into one location to sew it together because you didn't want to give China the whole product because it, obviously that was still the idea, right? Yeah. Well, that, that's a funny story in itself. That we went to um, when when we went out to China and we'd had them made in the UK and it was still sort of under wraps and we thought right we're going to get this mass produced. We had to split the product in two. And it was only when we got to China we actually thought about the idea. So we got to this, we got to the room. Um, we had this itinerary on like a scrappy piece of A4 paper, and we thought, what if we show these guys this idea and they nick it, and we get back by the time we get back to the UK, the market's flooded with our invention because you know they, they play by different rules to how we play here. So essentially, it was about weeding out the one that we wanted to work with. So again, just being. En- just you know kind of being a bit inventive we'd tear the phone case off the shell and we'd go in with the shell and we'd say we've made this harness here to put a light on can you make this and because we knew that the phone case had already come from china we knew that they can make them anyway and we'd just get that cost and that price of that product and then the price of the phone case we said how much do you make these phone cases for we'd we just put two and two together um and then eventually we kind of whittled it down, but we go into these factories and the, these factories would be awful places, some of them, because you just don't know. We've got yeah. no experience. We've just found these factories through people, through Alibaba and just, you know, kind of used our nose to find them. But you go in some of these places and we'd walk out going, before we'd even walked out, we'd be around the table, but you just know we'd be going, we cannot make our product in this factory, make money from it in the UK, and these people are catching hell in this factory. There is just no way we can do it. And it's probably one of the best things we ever did because if they're treating the workforce like that, what the hell can they do to us in terms of ripping us off? So essentially that was probably the hardest thing about going to China is finding the right person for us where you can build a relationship of trust with. Can you just talk into what some of these um, Chinese factories are like and what some of these people go through? Just awful working conditions. So like... You know, most times you go and meet the. Um, there's some gems in this as well because I think, sorry, these days I think it's very easy to 
OEM stuff or, you know, there's a lot more knowledge on how to get things made now. It's like you can send a sample off to Ali, Alibaba or someone in China and you get it back and you don't actually go and experience these things. But because we had to go out there, you know, when you meet the, you know, the factory boss or the owner and it's, you know, a bit of conversation around what you guys doing here, this is what our factory can do, let's take you around, let's have a look. And then, you know, you're at these um, these manufacturing plants and you go around and some of them, yeah, you go into the main factory hall where they've got the sewing machines and stuff and it's awful. You know, the lighting's bad, the temperature's ridiculous, they're so close and working together. And, you know, thinking back now, looking back, it was such an eye-opener to us and we'd be walking around thinking nah like this ain't happening we we got to get out of here because we're not gonna we're not going to choose to make these products in these conditions and the the original manufacturers still our manufacturers today was the best by country mile on all fronts yeah so so when you say like can you can you see the unhappiness in these people's faces as well when you're walking around bro yeah Yeah. without a doubt you walk around and some of these people won't even look at you or they'll look at you thinking what is another one who's gonna add extra onto the workforce we go in some places there'd be no windows um and i think it's difficult because one thing that i think we should mention is there are a lot of good people in china and there are some fantastic factories there's also some really bad ones the one that we went to they had their workforce living on site um and you almost had to walk past a cesspit to go to their living their living quarters which was just like say an eye-opener you don't see that here in the UK, um, and you actually realise. You know, it, there's a there's a documentary, isn't there, on clothing manufacturing called the true cost, and I think that's about sort of the environment <coughs> and whatnot. But the true cost of people is just phenomenal, and you know, the, the finger might be pointed to say, well, you're making products in China. There is still an element of balance in terms of, okay, it might be cheaper to make something in this place, but it's not the cheapest because we're not choosing the cheapest. And the reason why we're not choosing the cheapest is because our success cannot be built on the shoulders of people less fortunate than us or people that are catching hell because of us. And yeah, it's, um, it's, that's, cause I bet you, I bet you had, I bet you had no idea of what you're walking into when you went out there. Cause obviously the reason, the reason you, you went out there is I think, I think we, we probably skipped this bit, but after you sold the 500 units, and you knew you kind of had something. You, you're like, right, we've got to get this made, I, I presume. But we can't, we we can't make it here because it's too expensive now. Because I think it was, what, it, was it was ridiculous. What were you your costs back in, back in? Making it in the UK used cost us about seventeen quid. So we were selling the vest for twenty quid. So straight away, you know, business one hundred and one. You think, well, they, they, you know, that, that ain't going to last for long. But that's we had to get these materials in from different places and ship yeah. them in and stuff, and then pay the UK manufactured to, to make them it just wasn't sustainable plus the other thing is as well is we found through the research and stuff that out in china they actually specialize in these types of materials the things that we were trying to make for example in the process of making them in the uk the phone case itself we couldn't make in the uk we've bent to multiple manufacturers we just couldn't seem to get it done of the quality that the typical phone armband is made in that you might order off amazon and that was almost like that had to be of a good quality because it's holding your phone and we just couldn't get that done in the UK uh, because they specialise in these things, you know, inevitably where we went to get it manufactured. And do you have to be, I suppose you have to be so careful, don't you? Because, you know, like you don't want to put poisonous neoprene on people's arms. So it's like even, how did you go about checking that the product that they're even producing, even if the factory is good, how do you, how do you, how do you go about checking a product like that for, um, make sure it's not going to, 
put rashes on people's arms and stuff like that. What, what's the kind of process with that? Well, we had a guy um, who originally uh, sourced us the neoprene, a guy called Peter. Um, honestly, never met him in our life, but he's, uh, I think he's from like, Oxford Way. Um, and we just pick up the phone and go, Peter, like, how, how do you get neoprene in the UK? Um, where's this, you know, where is this stuff made? And he used to be, he was like a middleman. Um, he used to work with these neoprene manufacturers, loved his surfing. So obviously the wetsuits and whatnot. And he just introduced us to a load of factories who, uh, produce neoprene. And he'd say, if you ever need anything, just come to me, um, and we'll, I'll, I'll get it tested for you. So, how did you end up meeting him? God, I, um, I think we phoned up a, a wetsuit manufacturer in the UK and we said, look, we, we need to make some neoprene. Um, how do, yeah, how do you go about it? And then they put us in touch with, uh, with Peter. Literally picked up the phone and didn't know a thing about it and just shows you, as long as you're brave enough to pick up the phone and ask somebody a question, eight times out of ten, somebody would be willing to help you, you know. I think half the half the the things that stop a lot of people who listen to this podcast from launching brands or from scaling above their comfortable position they are now is like literally like picking up the phone and asking someone that's got more knowledge than you a question. Invariably, what you're taught as a child is you're taught that um, you know these rich people are horrible and all this kind of stuff. Whereas I've found the more wealthy people are, the more given they are. The, the more time they they can they can give you the more they'll help you a lot of wealthy people have really helped me and advised me all throughout my life that for different things I'm like fuck I've learned more there in two minutes yeah. than I would have learned if I'd if I'd tried to do that for three months by myself you know you know why though because it's human nature it is built within the human to pass on knowledge you think about say you take away the civilization for the last thousand years. People would be sitting around a campfire teaching people how to hunt, teaching people how to cook, all of these things. It is inherent in humans to pass on information, and I think we do forget that sometimes. Everybody loves to talk to somebody and let them know how smart they are. So why why are we not capitalising on that? Why are we not picking yeah. up the phone? I mean, if one of our competitors wants to pick up the phone and ask us, that's a different kettle of fish. But, you know, nine times out of ten, somebody on the come up, it's a, it's a real form of flattery to us when somebody asks us, can we help them? And we sing like canaries half the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not taking no for an answer as well. And I don't want these to sound like cliche things, but I think it is so true, like asking questions. And, you know, if you don't get the response you want off some individual or company or you're looking for advice, there's, there's lots of resources out there and we would just literally just kick down these doors. And that is that is a, you know sim- simple, like all we would do, just not take no for an answer. Ah, that We didn't get that answer we wanted. Let's move on to the next one. You know, we ordered these... The, the, the running armbands off Amazon and it was like let's say there's three of them three three of these kind of like just brands on Amazon well let's find out where these manufacture and let's contact them can you make this phone case with the arms cut off we just want to make the phone case and then can you put our branding on no no ah yeah no problem we can do that well, what's the price and it's like <coughs> we got to get a phone case made we have no clue how to do it let's order some of them off Amazon and then let's see if we can contact them to help then make a free train one that we can get sent to the UK and we can put on the vest in Wolverhampton. Just don't take no for an answer. Keep going to just, just fight. Just, yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to just find the way, like just you, whatever way you got to find to, to find, to get things done. You just got to get it, get it moving and get it. Keep just one step, isn't it? One step, one step. It's like with this podcast and everything I'm trying to build with it and and trying to cultivate with it. It's like, just, do one more podcast, yeah. one more, one more, one more. It doesn't have to be fucking rocket science. You don't have to reinvent the wheel half the time, do you? But, yeah. you, but I think people just kind of miss that, miss that whole point. And 
when I was reading, and I want to go back to this because it's so important and relevant to this, but when I was reading The Power of Now the other day, I realised that 90% of the time, my mind was either thinking about building the biggest fucking education podcast in the world or something in the past that pissed me off. And when you and when you get real present with it and you get real granular in, in, in focusing on this current moment and just focusing on, on being present in this conversation with you two right now, even though at this moment no one's listening to this conversation because it's not even out yet. It's like that is that is the juice. That's where all the, that's where all your joy is. And as humans, we are constantly future pacing our joy in terms of like our joy comes when we get to here over here, and then when we get there, we're like, well, fucking now our joy's moved fucking ten steps ahead. And also, we're thinking about, hang on a minute, Shirley down the road here pissed me off fucking three days ago, and I'm still thinking about it. Whereas you should have left that with Shirley that day it's like yeah. um, and as humans we get it so confused and we don't live in the now the more the more present you get with everything that you do that's that is the freeness that you, a lot of people are looking for that they can't experience yeah. we um we've got a collection and it is based off that and to not necessarily to the exact degree but it's though it's that word or those two words flow state of just being in that almost present moving moment all the time and it's the most free you'll ever feel um you know when you asked that question earlier about how do you deal with failure the answer for me is the same as with success you just roll with the punches you keep going you stay within that moment now i think we will all agree whether you play sport whether you whether it's business whether you're making food when you get in that moment of just flowing with what's happening at the time it's the freest most natural you'll ever feel and when you feel free, you do feel happy and it's not thinking about, it's not cooking your dinner today, thinking about what you're going to eat tomorrow. It is working on this thing here and now. Yeah, and, and, and just being in it and yeah. being ingrained in it. Like when you were making that vest and when you were, when you were putting these components together and when you're thinking about ideas, you, you, you've not got anything else on your mind because yeah. everything else leaves you and that's when you know you're on the right path. That's why as soon as I felt that way when I put down this first initial podcast... I was like, holy fuck, I've never, I've not felt that in that, in that depth for, for forever. Like, the, okay, now I get, now I get, because people have, I've, people have talked to, I've talked to a lot of successful people, even when I had, when I was just doing contentremoval.com, I was talking to all these celebrities, right? And I'm removing online content for them and I'm, and I'm asking them questions, like when I'm on the phone, I'm like, so, you know, and I'm, I'm picking their brains and, and, and the commonality when I look back at those conversations was like, the reason they're so free is because they've connected the monetization with something that they found purpose with and they put it together and they've created this something that banged from that. And it, it just, when you, when you start to put these things together and start to, to do it, but you cannot put the monetization piece in until you first find the bit that brings you the piece and the, and allows you to be in the moment. And what people try and do is they try and go from being this unconscious human where they go just going through daily life, living the nine to five, rah, 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 just doing that until econ brand owner doing five mil. But the, they miss the part in the middle, which is like, hang on a minute. You haven't brought yourself fully in alignment with, with finding that, finding any pleasure or any joy in that moment that you're in right now. And you and that's the disconnect I find with a lot of humans. They they kind of miss it, and I think you boys didn't even potentially realise at the time that when you were sat there in the moment do, doing it, and you didn't know you didn't know whether fucking free train was going to work or whether this fucking vessel was going to work, but you, you just did. you were just present. 
Yeah. But no, so I, I said there, no, we, we did. But it's just because we like, we just believed. And I, and I know that this, again, sounds like a bit preachy and whatnot, but when we came up with this product and as we were spitballing and the idea came out there and even if it wasn't the finished article, what it was is is if, you know, we could take this thing into any room and we knew it had passed the fire test. So any question that anyone would have, we'd say, well, here's your answer. This is yeah. why. I like and you correcting me on that because it's the, it's, it's the same. It's the same yeah. with this. Like, I know this is going to work. Yeah. In my head, I know. I don't know how it... But, but what I meant by that was... I know it's going to work and I'm sure you'll resonate with this. I know it's going to work. I don't know. I don't know the timeline of how it's going to work in. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like you knew that free train was going to work for you and it was going to be this thing that you had envisioned it to be. But the one thing that you can't control when you have these visions in your mind is you can't control the timeline it lands in. Yeah. And that's what people always try and control. They try and control the timeline, not, not the, not just the event happening. Yeah. And I think that, and that's, that's why people sometimes quit three feet from gold because it, because they, they thought, ah, oh, this, this, this should have took three years. Well, it might take five and a half. Yeah. You just don't know, do you? Yeah. I think that's the power of it. hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, we're, we're kind of going through it now. Um, again, our plan was always the plan and I think we've executed it with time almost perfectly um we've had kicks in the teeth where certain things have been kicked down the road like the launch of the apparel but essentially what we do know is is we believe in the brand we believe in the culture of it we believe in the product and yeah we can't that's the one thing that we've had to really learn is we can't affect the speed of how this travels and you know we've had conversations that we thought would something would happen off the back of it the next day they are uncontrollable but as long as you believe in that end result and you keep moving forward to that end result, you will get there. It's just about constantly putting things in your, in, in your pipeline of whatever, whatever your vision is. If you keep putting things in the pipeline, eventually these things are going to slot into place wherever they slot into place and it'll be right for you and it'll be right timing. But, but in, that, in that journey, obviously you go and develop this in, in China, you bring it back, you're now mass producing it. I suppose it really was... Not only just right product, but right time. Because you launch it off the back of the 2020 COVID. Everyone's at home. Gyms are shut. Everyone's out there running. You launch this, you, you kind of launch this vest into the, into this kind of hungry, real hungry market now. And you go and sell what, three or four million pounds worth of vests or? Yeah. So just to, we, that had certainly helped. And the time, I think timing is a, is a real big thing. Um, you know, you, you hear or listen to a lot of entrepreneurs or successful people. I think a lot of them say timing is key. You know, i.e. when we had certain ideas and they didn't work, maybe the timing wasn't right. But we believed in this from day one. And um, and I think, you know, even going out to China, we never thought that COVID was going to happen and there was going to be lots of runners. To be honest, when it first came about, we thought have we just made the worst choice of our life because we quit our uh, full-time jobs in on the Boxing Day of 2019. Uh, and wow. that was a decision where we, you know, we'd been doing it part time. We'd been, this is after we got back from China, we'd had, you know, 5,000 made, turned up at our houses with, you know, loads of boxes, fulfilling them from our lounges, all times of the night, all times of the day, around other jobs, just hustling it basically, which was class when you think back now. Yeah. Like, there's some magic in that. And I, bet, got, I bet you wish you'd vlogged it as well. Like. We, we've, we've got like, it, we've got a lot of footage that we just haven't put out there for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I suppose in this day and age, a, a vlog to go alongside of it would have been, would have been unreal. But there was, um, 
yeah, we got to the point where it was that busy and it was that like, oh, what's what's going to happen with us? So we're going to go for it. We'd always obviously wanted to do it full time. And we rang each other and literally said, you know, let's give this six months. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then we both quit our jobs just like that. That's, and then into the, follow- yourself, into the following year, well, sorry, in January, COVID comes around, there's this virus coming from China. Have we just made the worst choice ever? You know, people talking about lockdowns and stuff. As a, as a, as a new business, you're thinking, well, we've stuffed it then, haven't we? Ironically, that, you know, a lot of people started exercising then. And when, you know, Mr. Johnson came out and said, we advise everyone to go for a jog, the gyms are closed. I mean, it was brilliant because the the macro demand for running just went through the roof. And ironically, we had the product that everyone was wearing. It's, it's it's brilliant, and you and you kind of like used the the influencer route and stuff, and put it on football players. I know some of your mates from football started wearing it locally and stuff, so you got the contacts there. So you, even though I think I think your first five hundred units, you started to put them on players and in the game. Yeah, so um, I think it was it was when we really had a go in two thousand and nineteen, just before we decided to quit our jobs. Um, and I said to you before we. It's such a crazy story and again, it's almost like it's a bit preachy to some degree but it's not because it's so true and so real. We just believed in this product and I think when we started and resources were really low and we had to use ourselves as the models and we're taking pictures on iPhones, this is when Instagram was all about the you know, the high the high photography side of things and the and the high classy stuff. Um we couldn't give this vest away. There were micro influencers of a thousand people saying no oh, no you're all right thanks or they go yeah or i'm in a deal with so and so i can't wear it and then we thought right well we're going to go closer to home and you know there's people in and around the areas that we kind of grew up with and uh who we played football with and we got it on the likes of barry bannon and james morrison and all of a sudden the players in that team start seeing that product and they start wearing it and then we started to build that traction sort of January, February. We ended up being in GQ magazine whilst we were in China. And we opened this magazine. It's like, bloody hell, here we are. Well, um, you didn't even know you were going to be in didn't GQ. Didn't even know. Didn't even know. And it was like... No, in, we weren't paying the, for like... No. Weren't paying to be in there or anything. It, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is mental that you boys got in GQ yeah. and you haven't paid for a placement or nothing. Uh, it was mental. It was like their top running products and we were like number one at the time. Still got the article. And... It, you know, we the recognition and you could just feel this thing happening. And then obviously lockdown happened and it just opened up the floodgates to all of these people who needed to run. But essentially what we had was a product that worked. We didn't have to pay for any influencers whatsoever because it was such a no-brainer. I run, I take my phone, put this product on. It's cool. It's something that I can take a photograph in. And it just went from person to person. We were going out to celebrities and footballers going, can we send you one? And they were going, I've already bought one. I've bought one for me, my missus and the kids. And it was like, we were trying. it's the complete reverse. We were trying to give them away and people already had them. And then it was, I think we were working with um, an agency at the time and they went, you do realise you've had half a million pounds worth of influence or half a million pounds worth of media that you just got for free because, you know, your product is so good. And then obviously we just kind of rolled with the punches, but we always had this plan of the apparel. And then all and then all the pain that you'd gone through in terms of like how long it took you and how long you'd had to just focus on reiteration, reiteration, reiteration of the product. Now all that was starting to pay you back because people try and rush out products all the time. 
substandard products but substandard products end up where all substandard products end up on the you know uh, as a fly-by-night as something that doesn't repeat sell but i suppose now you've got something that's patented that can be evolved into different versions and you've got a good base of cash flow from this from your hero products so now you can invest in the clothing and that all came from your relentless design right 100 percent. yeah i think the other thing as well is it was a universal like worldwide as well so because it wasn't like the product just worked for any anyone who wanted to do any form of movement. We had like cyclists in it, walkers, runners, boxers, and this was like in all different countries as well. So within like the first six months, we'd set up three PLs in uh, Germany, Canada, Australia, America, and it was like how many did you sell in Australia? Australia, I think we probably did about seven thousand in two two years. Yeah. Um, and that was the that was the weakest of we, of, we were we were playing at it though. Yeah, weren't we? that Let's was literally fair. just like by the way, Facebook guy, just send a few ads to Australia. That yeah. was literally it. ten dollars um, a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. literally. We, couldn't, yeah. Like, we had no like influencers because we didn't have the the manpower or the team to go. You know, let's focus on it's Australia. A, it's a per, it's a perfect country though for this type of product. Yeah, like it, 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 having lived over there for so long, like it's it's just it's, it's just a perfect product for that kind of country. Yeah. But, we, but this is the thing. I think the whole thing with COVID, we've had some people kind of throw that thing out. So, oh, well, COVID helped you, this and that. It was also a massive hindrance because we had no idea the scale of Australia at the time or we, you know, we couldn't get out on the ground and meet people because we were stuck in our offices at home or our bedrooms at home going on the phone every day. We didn't know the impact we'd had in Germany, the impact we'd had in the US. It was a it was a hindrance, and I think you just alluded to a point earlier about sort of the plan and having the cash flow to go into other things. We'd always had this plan, and before the vest was even launched, we knew where we were going next, and that was apparel. So you went niche first, yeah, to get the cash flow in the business, yeah, and then and then your plan was to go more broad because you because you needed to diversify, right? Yeah, because so I presume then that you thought that this product might die, yeah. Um, not necessarily die, but it would get to that stage where it almost runs itself. The name's out there. It's a product that, you know, people will discover by, by nature, essentially. And you reach that impact feeling of, wow, what's this product people talking about here and there? And then it just becomes that it coasts essentially. But we were talking about this before we'd even launched. We said, right, we've got two years of absolute go time with this. And we looked at a product that we thought we've got something that can penetrate a market and then we go wide and we diversify and we take these customers and then we launch the the, the real brand, the real free train essentially. So you, so then you turn free train essentially into, into a clothing brand, right? Alongside this product. Now obviously some famous clothing brands from, from your area, specifically Gymshark and, and people like that, why did you want to go into a marketplace to compete with brands of the size of Gymshark? Even from the first day that we thought of the product, even when we come up with the name, the name was always one eye on the brand because we didn't just want to be known for we have this, we have made this vest and it's great, it's hold your phone. The name Free Train right from day one was what is what does Free Train stand for? It gives you the freedom to train in no matter what field you're in. So whether that's boxing, biking, running, it's universal. It can be a name that stands up there with the likes of Puma, Nike, Adidas. It can be that household sportswear brand. And we wanted to stand by that from day one. And we kind of got proof of that with the vest in terms of it was right. Everyone from all different fields, all different cultures, all different 
backgrounds and abilities were wearing this product and we saw like the communities coming together for that brand for the name free train people feel comfortable wearing the product and having that name on the chest you know in in day-to-day life so we knew that the name was right and we always like James just touched on that was the in with the product the goal was always to be a household sportswear apparel brand because that's really where we come from so with our professional sports background Growing up, Nike and Adidas fanboys, why do we like that brand? It's the people they've got in it, it's the fit of the materials, it's the quality, it's what they stand for as a brand. And we believe that right from the get-go, free train, we want to be there alongside them because we feel like we have that point of difference. We are about culture, we're about quality. With a new age, I'm not afraid to say it, with a new age Nike, and that's what we've always believed in from day one. And so you, when you obviously go into clothing right you do you did you obviously gymshark have gone into like they they wanted to culture the, the lifting environment they want yeah. to be the lifting brand is there have you just gone completely wide on how you want to be or do you do you want to be the brand for the athlete or do you want are you trying to be the brand for the everyday gym girl or what kind of what kind of niche were you going for with that we're the brand for the people first and foremost um and the reason for that is because like the the people is where it starts and what we want to do is we want the same way if you think you need a product so in this day and age you'll wake up you go i need uh, a new quarter zipper nike come to your mind uh, i want a new tracksuit to land around the house in nike come to mind and yes they started off in a niche field similar to us they started off with the running um but then they diversified and the big thing for them was the michael jordan but essentially where we fall is within the culture, within where all these sports stars come from. And they start with humble beginnings, most of them, and then they end up being superstars. But essentially what that does is that gives the guys from the humble beginnings that opportunity to kick on. You think about the name Free Train. It is that train to success and it is the freedom. And you look at, say, I think, you know, you can see the obvious difference between myself and Jack and say um you know the fact that we've got representatives of different culture if you look at the team that we've got is completely diverse all we want to do is we just want to do really cool things we the reason why we couldn't wait for the clothes to come out so we could do groundbreaking campaigns so we can build on our mantra which is be better we want we wanted to create that just do it moment our thing is be better so whether that's being better as a human being whether that's being better than you were yesterday whether that's you being better than your competitor we wanted to create this thing this product that you put on not just the vest but whether it's a tracksuit whether it's a training t-shirt or a pair of shorts and you're going out there the same way that we feel to be the best whether that's the best version of ourselves or the best in the field that's that's where we see ourselves and you ask that question why why would we want to compete or what made us want to compete with the likes of Gymshark because we're competitors because we want to be the best because we are inspired by those who have been before us but we just want to do it better we want to be better yeah and you kind of want to you kind of have your own vision for how that that feeling is curated within your community of people that are, are wearing your stuff and I suppose with you know with the amount of you know, vest that you've sold you've managed to create an email list of like 350 500 000 people that you can now have in front of you as an audience to market these 
new clothes to so it allows you to get into the market a lot quicker than if you were starting from scratch so the actual name free train was that something that was really hard to protect and trademark no funny enough and again it was like at that naming point we had loads that we were throwing around obviously initially it was the vest and it was like right run vest uh this and that and essentially with one eye on the future as jack said earlier it was what can we create in terms of a name that ticks multiple boxes the freedom to train for people freedom of people that our train to freedom like there there are so many whenever we do a campaign there are things for the newcomer to see but there's so many hidden messages even for ourselves and within the brand and that all stems even from the name itself um we had it yeah the funny story about how that logo came about we told this lady that we were calling the the brand free train and she came back and she came with a, the logo was the grill of a train uh, to start with. But she was along the right lines in terms of our hidden meaning. But we looked at that, we thought, fucking hell, I can't run with that. But, you know, um, yeah, there are a lot of messages in everything that we do. Be better is take it how you need to take it at the time. And Free think, train is the same. I think the, the, the logos of, of brands like yours, they evolve as you evolve as brands as well. Yeah. Because... Nike, Nike's logo has evolved. Adidas has, Gymshark's definitely has. By by a country mile, I think yours will too as you go through. I think it'll just it just be a natural evolvement of everything. Yeah. When when what position were you when you started to employ staff and started to bring people on? Jog jog the memory now. We, three, um, three months when we thought yeah. we were going to launch. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah, we went through a bit of a process with that, didn't we? I'm trying to think now because we were at our bedrooms for a while and then we got our first office, didn't we? Yeah. In Sutton Coldfield, little box office, tiny box office. Uh, <coughs> did three Which is m- a big decision, isn't it? Yeah, three months yeah. initially. It was like, yeah, small, just us two in there. Um, and we, But we'd, we'd kind of used family and friends up until that. We had kind of um, a guy running the ads who was through a, through a family friend um, and he was, you know, quite important to start with because obviously Facebook marketing and stuff back then was like really important. So we managed to kind of lock that down. Um, I'm trying to think who was the first person. No, it was um, it was June, it was June 2021. So essentially, we met yeah. this we met this kid uh, who there's a million stories about Kieran, um, and he basically came in. He said, "I can do it all, all the graphic design and whatnot." <laughs> and if you ever saw this guy, right, he came in, walked into the gym when we'd had no office, and we were like, "Who the fuck is this?" And he came in, <laughs> blonde hair, like tanned. Zeus. About, yeah, <laughs> Zeus, about six foot four, and he came and he put, got out his laptop and he was like, this is what I can do. <laughs> Half a bit of a con, long, long story short. And we had this little box office with the three of us. And then um, we thought, right, we've got so many meetings, we need to like improve our marketing and get on top of that. Uh, and then we hired this lad called Tom, who was actually my next door neighbour growing up. And we built this community of people who we trusted. Um, like the Misfits office. Literally, yeah. Yeah. But essentially, I think it was June 2021, and we told you earlier about the sort of can being kicked down the road for the clothes. We went, right, we're going on a hiring spree now. It was all lads in the room. We went, we're going to hire three women, uh, one for the design role, and then one for influencer marketing and another one for marketing, just so we could get the different concept, the different ideas, because, you know, we can try all we want to get into a female's mind. Absolutely no. Good chance. luck. Yeah, absolutely no chance. <laughs> Good luck. waiting for someone to say. Yeah, we, again, Honestly. it's that whole timing thing. We just tried to prep and we said, right, we're going to hire in June. 
three months to get everybody sort of up to speed with the brand and then we're going to launch in September. Did that happen? Did it fuck? We like again, we've pushed back and again, COVID being the successful thing was a thing that like kicked the can down the road for about a year and a half. You talk about getting in women's minds. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get women away from all these toxic podcasts that they're listening to. And, uh, you, you, you try being a ball geezer trying to achieve that in your life. I tell you now, boys, it's hard to do it. So, girls, know, so girls, put me in the WhatsApp group. All right. Share the podcast. But no, I, I get what you're saying, man. And you need, you, you, when you're trying to, um, build and cult and culture a brand. You can't just have a load of lads in the room with a fucking ping pong table in the middle, just trying to think about, you know, how to add the female side into what you're doing. You're just not going to happen. You need you need that feminine energy in something like that when you're trying to build it. You, you get a different concept, a different what they, they they look at things from a completely different angle that you look at. Even like how it's, I'm just looking at the, the zip on your top. You know, you might think the zip's right, but she but the girls might have an idea of how the zip could be smoother. You know, it's just little things that they pick up the intricacies. I think in brands that, that, that women just have so much more intricate detail in sometimes than than us blokes. We're just like, yeah, let's crack out. That looks wicked. Do you know what I mean? Is that kind of what you found through your design team? Yeah. I think it's only fair to, to do that. And just as the name stands free train, we needed to have more, you know, different minds from different places. Like you say, um, I think that's a, only being fair to the brand because if we just ran with our two ideas or you know the initial two lads that came in, it's like nah. Certainly, at, you know, three months in, this needs to be a little bit more diverse, and we wanted to do that from the off. So yeah, like Jay said, the first three after that were were female. I, t- I tell you the other thing to throw in as well: they're much better employees in terms of working. You look outside and the lads are trying to have a game of uh, whatever, like throwing the throwing the bits <laughs> of things, and the girls just get their heads down and work. So well. If, 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 if I think as well, like women just concentrate better when they've got, when they, when they have a purpose and then, and they know they're going towards a vision, they just, they just crack on with it. Like, yeah. whereas lads, whereas me, I'm like, I've got this vision and then I'm like, I, I'm over there doing something that's not in the vision because I'm like, you know, I don't know, I don't, and I'm like, why am I doing that for? That's not even on the fucking, that's not even on the whiteboard, mate. Yeah, like, yeah. What, are you, what are you doing that for? But we, we do, we do kind of get lost in, lost in that we need a little bit of a direction that's why it has to be the balance and, and that's something i've learned as well through throughout this um because i i'm tr- i'm trying to get more women on the podcast right and I'm, I'm inviting more women all the all the time because i realized you need that you need that feminine energy on the podcast as well i need i need i need that perspective i've not had that perspective for for about 20 20 or 30 episodes now i need you need that so you, know, you need it in all areas of your life i think it's important but you how, what, how many employees are you up to now? Eight, full-time. Yeah. And then we have um, a couple of people kind of outsourced and just on subcontracts and stuff. But yeah, got eight in the uh, the bunker, HQ. And you um, turnover revenue of, of, of 10 million with, with eight employees, good good numbers. Uh, 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 how many kind of, what's your kind of vision and your you, you revenue number vision for like the next couple of years? Oh, that's uh, throwing a spanner in the works in terms of revealing the plans. Um, I think, realistically, we believe we can, you know, in the next sort of five years, we've got a plan to go between 50 and 100 million. Um, And that is, that's very ambitious, we know. But we also know how quickly these things can, can take off. And... You know, I think we're at this stage in the company where we are building out that infrastructure and we're building out product lines, we're building out marketing campaigns and the next few years are mapped out. Um, I think in the immediate short term, 
don't particularly want to say too much, but that is the goal within the next five years to reach between those figures. And are you just doing predominantly male stuff at the moment? It's full, male and female. female. I I think just on that point as well, I think that the the next clear goal for us over the next year is just to get the recognition that we want for our, you know, apparel range because we've been so known for the vest, which is fantastic because it has enabled us, you know, brand recognition. We know who free train are, but with that passionate and that, confident in the clothes as we were with the vest we w- just want to get the name out there for the clothes because we know that when people do receive the clothes and they become part of this brand as we've showed you today and some of the some of the clothes hopefully you'll you'll back us up on this is we really believe in it and just like all the stories and things we've touched on today when you really believe in something you know it's true it's kind of a matter of time and we we're almost thinking now we've just got to put the hammer down and get the awareness for these for the clothes because because they're sick, they're really good. No, I, I kind of, I kind of see the the way that you boys have gone about that. But part of me thinks, if I'm honest, about this recognition thing, that you boys potentially might be pursuing recognition in that because potentially you didn't get the recognition you thought you deserved in the football game. Potentially, yeah. But I mean, we, if if I'm being completely honest, I think free train especially has given us that route to let that go. Um, yeah. it, it's it's and I've so you have you, you do believe you both found pizza massively hundred percent. I, I was just yeah. sorry to. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I, I can't. We'll often talk about football. We see, it, I, I don't even watch it anymore. Like uh, yeah. that that stage of my life, I appreciated it for what it was and all the learnings. But it's like it's so far gone now, especially for me. You know, I've, I've been not playing for seven years now. Uh, it would it, this has almost nothing. Just being completely honest, nothing to do with that for me. It's like want free train to be successful because of free train i like that i like that i like because i was just i was just trying to find out whether you boys had found the peace because i know there's certain times in my life where i thought i found peace with certain things and then i realized oh shit i'm still a little bit triggered by that and it was good because when i mentioned it and um you boys came in and you're just peaceful about it so i knew you'd found peace which is which is a great thing because in order to as uh, to get where you're going to go as a brand you have to find peace in the in the journey on the way to doing it as well you know it's important i've seen a lot of people that um you know i was i was interviewing um, matt from space goods the other day smashed it he smashed it in life smashed everything and um he thinks he, he in his head he's done nothing like yeah. and i'm like mate don't you realize what you've achieved you turned over 11 million from your kitchen at 24 years old and he, and in his head he thinks he's fucking he's, he's a, in his head he's like nah I'm a loser mate I'm not doing that now I'm like fucking yeah. what you that psychology of how how you can get in your own mind and beat yourself up about a story that's not even true yeah do you know what though I think I I can't speak for Jack but I have that about myself without a doubt um well that difficulty yeah that that whole what have you done what have you done again I think. You know, in terms of finding peace with uh, things that have gone wrong, I'm there with that. And I think once you can't change it, and I go back to that spell that I had where I, you know, I'd left Brighton. What I realised was is anything that went wrong in that period in time, what I was doing after didn't affect the result that's just happened. But essentially, I think you'll find this with a lot of, I hate this word like you wouldn't believe, but it's the only word to describe it, entrepreneurs or people who... Um, you know, people who are trying to create businesses. It's the, it's that whole, uh, Piers Morgan said it years ago in terms of when you wake up in the morning, you've got to run faster than your opponent. The antelope has to run faster than the lion. The lion has to run faster than the antelope. We've had some unbelievable moments where 
you know, our phones were pinging off and it was Paul Pogba's in your vest, can you believe it? Being sent Van Dyke running in, in the product or, you know, whoever else out there, getting off the phone to certain people and, you know, um, seeing Kevin Hart wearing the vest was incredible. And we're like on the phone laughing and joking, going, can you believe it? Like, And then all of a sudden it's right, but we've got to get these vests in there because, you know, if we don't, they're going to run out in three weeks' time and you're constantly on the wheel and... But, and you know, and we've you you mentioned those numbers. What we've done, it doesn't even make me smile because we know where we can get to, and it just keeps you on that pursuit all the time, and you're in that state of like cadence. I understand it, but you don't. You have to take a moment at some point in time, boys, and go. Do you know what? Fair fucking play. You know, we've done. We've had an absolute. We've had an absolute tear here. It's. I mean, it's nice when you say it, and I think we probably should, shouldn't we? But. Uh, it's yeah it's not natural for us to to have that well until until you boys until you boys accept that you accept like the little bit of celebration for, for like kind of where you're at you can't you're not being truly present i and and yeah it's it's, it's just it's just something i've realized that it's it's, it's br- when you bring it back to that level you kind of have to celebrate it otherwise you know, you could go completely polar opposite and, and, and kind of forget then you then you get to what a hundred million and you still think, Oh yeah, but what about a billion? And you're like, Yeah, but fuck you still done hundred million, like like fair yeah. play. Like, yeah. You we're two mm. lads that were playing in fucking league two, getting two hundred and fifty pound a week a few years back. Like mm. it's 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 pretty fucking phenomenal when you think about it. Maybe you should think about it a bit more. Yeah. So I was just uh, like my answer to that is like it's it's just life now, isn't it? Like yeah. this is so like you know, we've even okay, we when we quit our jobs, but even before that, this has been like quite a long journey now, and it just seems like we're just in it, aren't we? Yeah. And but, but just, enjoy it, but yeah, enjoy we, it. When we are, but yeah, enjoy, yeah, and that's what I mean. It's just like, yeah, this is this is this is just our life. So we're not almost like searching for anything or looking back. It's like we are just in this. What are your roles now within the business? As like each of you, like what are your roles? Don't know. <laughs> no, honestly, it's it's mental. We um we we cover everything at the minute. Yeah. The team's still quite small, so I mean, even in terms of um, the day-to-day runnings of it, we need to get out there a little bit more. And you know, you are the first podcast where we've come on and you know, spilled our guts and stuff. And I don't think many people know what we look like, to be honest. And you look at a lot of these brands that are successful, and we have been speaking about this quite a lot. We are very humble in our ways, and we're very quiet, and we put the brand first. But I think in order for people to understand the brand completely we need to get out there a little bit more because yeah, people wouldn't understand like it's even like it's even like it's clear to see if you if you're on the youtube for the youtube video obviously you, you know different you're from fucking completely different cultures for yeah. a start you're different you know different color color skin like different different backgrounds like whole different demographic and people if people can't connect with that and what you're trying to articulate it kind of creates a divide between you and them yeah completely but then, you know, we you will see the elements of the product. So these products, especially the ma- the mail items, they're built in our in our image in a sense. They're built because we have lived and breathed sportswear and we have gone through the testing phase and we've said this isn't good enough, this needs to fit like that. Um, you know, and we will diversify that even further, but we've always had to do things that we believe in. So in terms of where we fit across the brand or our roles at the minute is very much product marketing. And people, essentially. But will there be a point in time where you like, you know, you might come in and say, right, James is better at product. Jack, you're better at managing supply chain. Do you know what I mean? And just start taking 
taking more senior roles and and delegating the stuff that you that perhaps are your weaker points within the business i think potentially that there's always uh, who can see into the future i think that has potential but the other thing is we've always done things together and i think even in that we touched on a few of the key decisions and just how the business has happened it's always been the only way i can explain it is like banging two heads together and coming out with a good option. And whether that's in, for example, we've had times where, let's say, customer service has gone to shit or there's been an issue or there's, oh, my God, the, the, the vests aren't going to land. There's been so many instances in each kind of category of the business which we've had to both be there for and come up with the best solution. We're almost very well versed in all of the departments of the business. And I think we're almost now wanting to get people in where we go, they're actually better than us in that field. And I think that's where yeah. we can elevate then and potentially then who knows what will happen. But that's that's pretty much how we, to, to, sorry, to see a different situation, how we've currently done it, uh, I don't know. I think it's... It's it's, it's really hard as yeah. well because I think even if you strip it back and be absolutely, completely honest, we're obsessive about this brand. So it's difficult, it would be difficult for me at this point to go, right, I'm only ever going to, I'm not going to be involved in product whatsoever. Because it's a disconnect, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but yeah. again, uh, until that point, and it's hard for the pair of us because we, we're not, we didn't go to university, either of us, so, you know, until this person comes through the door who goes, I'm your product man, that's when we'll step back. But essentially, even to that point, if we step in and we go, that product isn't free train, that we will always have that, that veto. Well, I, 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 the reason why I was saying about finding out what your thing is and then and delegating the rest wasn't because I thought that you boys should step out of product. I was thinking yeah. more you should step into product and yeah. step out of like CEO founder role, step Agreed. out of CFO roles and all this kind of stuff. Because the biggest mistake that I've seen from brands at your size is that they don't bring on the the the, the CFO early enough and, and get the mm-hmm. financials right and have the and have the cash flows right. And and that's what fucks a lot of brands up. It's yeah. like they get that completely wrong. Because you can't that's it's, it's the it's the it's the piece of the business that no, that no one ever looks at but it's the most important piece of the business essentially because yeah. yes you need a good product but you need to be able to like you say be able to pay your supply chain get your supply chain land it on time all that stuff is that is that is was a cfo something you brought on or did you have you brought on any like kind of financial people in the business because you knew that was important, or is that something you're bringing on in the future, or what's the what's the game there? We're in the process of it, um, yeah. literally, and the, every point that you've just made there, we completely agree with. I mean, what are our best assets in this brand? It is living and breathing the front end of it, um, and I think it is naive for us to turn around and say, right, well, that's it. We're going to be a CEO when there's people out there with ten, twenty years experience in this field and in other fields, you know, even in terms of supply chain, it's the same thing. And I think being the two of us and being as honest as we are with each other, we can sit there and go, we're not built for this right now or yeah. this is something that we need you to need, learn. And you, the only way you can learn is by having someone to look up to in your own business and go, yeah. oh, fucking hell, that's a CEO. Do you know what I mean? That's someone who directs a business. Oh, that's, that, that's, that's why he's the CFO. You know, that's why he's dealing with the financials. That's why he's doing the balance sheet because he can just see and move things and make things move in different ways that we can't even fucking compromise yeah. and, and configure in our minds. I think very, something, something very powerful with accepting. Like I accepted when I started this podcast, I'm not going to be the video guy. I'm not going to be the, the guy that edits the content. I'm not going to be that guy or, or posting it on all these different social platforms. I can't do that because that takes away my love for what, for having the conversation, right? So you could, you have to be radically honest and understand then, okay, if that's not your game, 
you got to pay someone to do that. And you've got to pay someone who's, who, whose game that is. Not just pay someone for the sake of doing it, but actually someone who's actually passionate and puts the same amount of love that you put into having the conversation into the actual creation of the, the clips, of the content, of the of the even just posting the content. It's so, so it's such a nuance that gets missed a lo- yeah. along so many businesses, I find. You know, it's yeah. important that, that, that you guys, I think, have, have kind of picked that up and now you're getting those people in place. Because I suppose... What are the key hires then? Do you think for you as as a brand now? Because obviously you've gone from zero to ten mil over over two and a half three years. What would you say at that point when you get to the ten mil revenue number? What is that? What are the key hires that most businesses need to put in place? Well, we haven't hired them yet. Um, we've got we we probably want to hire about five this year, um, five people, and and that'll be kind of I don't know whether we should. We should go into it or not, but there's, you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it, is I, su- it, I suppose the ones that you've already mentioned yeah. in terms of we are looking for an active CEO, someone who can come in and, you know, take over the... They might be listening to this podcast, boys, yeah. so you better, you're better off telling the positions because I'll tell yeah. you now, there's some weapons that listen to this yeah. podcast. Um, you know, somebody versing, say, strategy, uh, marketing and e-commerce as well, yeah. um, especially apparel sports apparel because again we have the feeling of the market and we understand that but essentially we want someone to come in and say right this is the roadmap this is how this brand have done it this is how that brand have done it and again because we are control freaks to some degree we'll say well this is how free train are going to do it in terms of taking that plan and taking that experience and being able to put our own twist on it um but again, I think it's just strengthening in all all categories, really, across what we've got. Because if we are going to grow, if that if that product line is going to get bigger, if our marketing is going to get bigger, um, more interesting, more interactive, we're going to need people who have been there and done it. We're going to need fresh blood and fresh enthusiasm into the business, really. Yeah, because when I was talking to a few different people that have done fifty to one hundred mil, they said to me, "When you get to ten mil revenue." That's when you you need to you you feel like as a that how they've explained it to me they've all explained it pretty similar they say you feel like you can't afford to put in the people that you that you, you need. That, that you need but you you fucking need to because if you don't you'll 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 shit yourself on the back end and you, you'll have um you could get to like thirty staff and and more revenue but you kind of your wheels are falling off all over the place because you haven't set the management structure in place to allow yourself to go to the the 20s the 30s the 40s the 50s you know what yeah. i'm saying i think i think that's a good good thing and i think the one thing that we're really happy with now is the the kind of foundations have been laid in terms of the ethos ethos of the brand and people coming in they've got to get a grip of it the building itself the kind of manufacturers the structure the marketing it's all kind of in-house now and we're almost ready to just scale that in a few kind of key positions really and i think the other thing as well is if you look at the, you know, some of the brands that have grown quickly, the good thing is now we can look at that and say, well, you know, you referenced Gymshark earlier, Castor, another great example. The growth that Castor have had has been incredible. And the good thing about now... What are they know, doing revenue numbers? Do you know what, roughly? We don't want to talk about them. Yeah. But they're doing a lot more than us. I think they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. about two, three, <laughs> two, three hundred. But it's, um, you know, the, the good thing about this day and age with everything but it shows you what you can do like it's, it's like it's all right saying no, i don't want to talk about it i know no, you're no. Jo- i know you're joking i know you're bantering but it's like that it sh- it shows you there is no there is no limit to what you can achieve as long as you have the right 
frameworks in place. I think it's, it's, all, it's all frameworks and mental models when you start getting to the revenue numbers that you're at. That's a good thing, I think, these days with everything almost being access, accessible. You know, there's that much content out there and that much information now. If, if you've got half a brain, you can figure out when people employed this person and as they went on their growth journey. So that's a good thing that we've got now because, you know, maybe going back 10 years, that's a lot harder to find out. Um, and the other thing is, well, just fresh blood as well. So, you know, young people with young ideas and um, even in terms of like a marketing thing, we just had a young lad come on who's in charge of our TikTok now. And within the course of like two months, he's, the views have gone through the roof because he's, he's naturally looking at that kind of thing. And that's what we're also, you know, keen to do is realise where we're, we're at on our journey, where kind of how we grew up the platforms yeah. we, but also knowing there's there's some big platforms coming up now and yes, we can learn that, but the easiest thing is to get someone whose natural instinct is, well, that's my platform of this generation. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm currently looking at putting content on platforms that I'd previously written off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for my podcast and I'm like, I can see some some visions to it. I'm like, oh, dumb fucker, you've missed that. And yeah. you, you kind of, you kind of, oh yeah. All right, now we can fix it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's important. It's important. I tell I um I did a Zoom podcast the other day, right? And for so long, I've told myself every reason why you can't do Zoom podcasts, and they're not as good, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. But it's like the secret to 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 me scaling is like, yeah, but if you're putting out twice the amount of content that you're putting out, you're growing at twice the rate. Plus, there is value in these Zoom conversations. And there are some people that I genuinely can't get to because they're just so unavailable to meet in person because some people just don't meet. So you've got to be open to the fact of doing things that you previously told yourself aren't right for you. You kind of have to check yourself, don't you? Yeah, I think that is the epitome of moving forward, really, out of anything because similar to yourself not quite the same but you know we've had a snobbish attitude towards content in the past and we've gone especially over the last six months it's been a real teething problem and the lessons that you learn with our tiktok never catch on do you know what i mean and that sort of thing to some to some degree we've gone we're going to keep our content like this it's going to be a phase or whatever and you focusing on the things that you know and you're a little bit what's the word um you're, yeah, you're just a little bit uh, naive. It, 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 it's 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 it comes down to like we all have an ego, and we have to know when our ego is um, set to protect us from from danger, but also set to protect us from growth. Yeah, and it's about having it's about having that that happy medium of where that ego gets where you need to check yourself and ask yourself, is what I'm saying even fucking true? Because so many, so many of the things that we say in our lives aren't even predicated on any facts. Like the people that we've picked them up from could be fucking, could be anybody, couldn't yeah. they? Like essentially, like, you know, when you, you were growing up and your mum's taught you something about life and, and it's not even, it's her truth, but it's not the truth. And then you go through your whole life and you have this whole perception of people or, or business or people with money or people with anything because you believe the same psychology as what your your mum's taught you until the day that you question it, right? And and I think a lot, not enough of us question our narratives in our life. And I think it's by questioning the narrative that you allow your brand to grow, that you allow your, you know, your your mind to open and everything to start to fit into place is because you have to question everything that you think you know. Because I guarantee you, sometimes people say, oh, Frankie, you know a lot about podcasting. I know fuck all. Because if I think I know everything about podcasting, I know nothing anyway. 
because you, you because that's the whole point you know nothing so what are some of the things then that you boys thought that you knew that you've now discovered you didn't know as well as you wanted to a lot so much mm. come on jack give me give, give me something um i, I want to try and be like really practical here uh, the first price someone offers you is never the final price and I think that's just a real takeaway. If anyone's looking to start their econ brand, whether it's like working with a marketing agency, working with a company who provides service, nine times out of ten, the first price they offer you is 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 not the actual value. So be be open to negotiating, be open to wait a little bit and see if they come back. And that's just without thinking about it too much. That's a real takeaway for someone is like just just yeah, try and get try and get the real value out of someone. Yeah. That's 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 one one thing off the top. Um, I'd say, uh, just ask questions. I just thought before, like you said earlier on, like the information is out there and, you know, you can really have a go. Um, to be honest, there is so much we we could be here all day in terms of things that I've learned, but yeah, I'd say the questions is everything. Yeah. And just, just being open to, to ask the questions, like you say, is, is, is the, is the key to every piece of growth that you'll experience in your life. You know, just being, being, being open to having people say no to you as well, I'd say. I think a real lesson we've learned is if something's too good to be true, it normally is. And there's multiple examples. Um, but I think to the youngsters listening, especially if it, if it sounds too good, you really have to question it and don't like, commit to money and paying for things like because you can get stung and especially in young startups and if you've only got maybe a small amount of capital to have a go at something you've got to make every penny count and don't get fooled by people who can see you coming a mile off what are some of the examples of that you've had in your in your specific business well i'd say i I think that's probably the most poignant lesson to drop off to people because um early on Again, I talk about the trolls under the bridge. Um, we started off young and naive, um, and we met a guy who said he could take our product from concept to manufacturing, and uh, the, <laughs> which is just incredible. And we've gone, oh my god, we've hit the jackpot! Found the first one on Google, um, and then he quoted us twenty grand. And at the time, we were going, we can't afford this. So we went back and we said, you know, uh, we can't afford this. Um, is there anything we can do? And in about the space of 10 minutes, he halved the quote and took a few things out. And he's like, well, this is what I can do now. And there's us thinking, we're the best businessmen on the planet. Um, he's, he's halved the quote and he's took out he's, he's took out the concept to market and just made it concept. Yeah. No, <laughs> essentially, he'd just taken off the last letter of every word. But um, it, honestly, it was incredible. And we went down there and this was like the first ever stage. And this is what essentially you know, kind of made us question absolutely everything as time went on because we went down there and we're paying three grand for this first round and it was like another, there's another three rounds after that. Um, And as we get there, he's behind the curtain finishing it off. He'd only started it in the morning, but, you know, we've paid for this, like, you're paying three grand for someone to put something together with materials they've got in their their living room, um, which is just absolutely absurd. And then... You know, that he's, I always remember the last part of his quote was uh, it was going to be two and a half grand for introduction to manufacturers. Bearing in mind, this, a year down the line, we've picked up the phone to a manufacturer and said, can we come in and show you our idea and get it made? People will be sitting there along the way ready to take your money off you 
if you're not savvy enough or if you don't ask enough yeah. questions. And I think that's probably the point that Jack's making. There is no easy road. And that's probably the thing to say. If someone's offering you that easy road, tread carefully as you're going because, you know, everybody talks about this journey. And when was the last time you heard somebody say, oh, it was easy. I phoned this person up and this happened. And now here I am at like, I've got a billion, billion pound company. There's been a few times in my life where I thought money was coming easy to me and it smacked me so hard on the back end. Yeah. And I lost a lot from it. Like I've been caught a few times hard. Yeah. Like even in the last 12 months, like really fucking smacked yeah. in the face. Um, and and I can tell you straight down the line, when you get smacked, you're like, holy fuck. That was, that seemed on the front end, that seems such an easy thing for me to just, I'll sell it for this, I'll do it for that. You make that margin, wicked. Then you're fucking scratching your head and thinking, how the fuck have I gone from positive fucking... 65% profit margin on that to losing fucking 100 grand on top of what I fucking already took in. It's like, how have I done that? Yeah. And that happens because, well, for, for, for me, what I've learned is you can't sell other people's knowledge. You can't sell other people's visions or anything like that. Any other, anyone, anything that anyone else creates, you can't sell that. You have to sell your own stuff because then you can control the variables of it. Yeah. Like, and you can't, that, that's, that's one thing I want everyone to yeah. take away from this is you can't, you know, if you'd, you're not, you, you, we all know that if you started an e-com store and started to sell a, a branded stuff for other people's brand, you can't control the, the, the variables of that, the margins, the quality, this and the other. So you're now in a price fucking war. Whereas when you're creating your own clothing, like you boys are creating, or you create your own vest and stuff, you can you can, there there are variables that you can control the quality variable, the the, the how the product arrives at the customer, yeah. all these variables that you want to control. So I'd just say like control every variable of your business at every sure. level as much as possible without yeah. reliance too much on third party fulfillment in one area of your business because yeah. it leaves you wide open to getting fucked massively well as, as you were saying that then it's dawned on me probably the biggest lesson that we could you know one of the biggest lessons we can give out and remember the old uh, think adverts where it says speed kills yeah it's greed kills now the reason for that being is because if you start cutting corners for margin or if you start selling something you haven't got it comes back to bite you in the ass like no end you know, and I think there's been times in the past where we've taken gambles on certain things, thinking, "Well, this is the purple patch. This is the time where we've got to make we've got to make money." And we've had products that haven't cleared customs yet, and we're going, "Well, we're just going to stick them online." That that has happened previously, and it's happened one time, and we'll never ever ever do it again because we were young lads at the time. Stress and we were it fresh to business, yeah. And you, there's so many stories, and I bet you there's so many founders out there that won't tell that story. But we've all done it. But the like you say, the results are never what you want them to be. It normally comes back to bite you. And it, now we have this mantra where it's like, okay, we just have to deal with the time and, and how things are right now. And there's been things that have been out of our control in the past where it, things might be fulfilled slightly later and there's nothing we can do about it. But there's no, there's no situation where we're kicking ourselves going, we wish we'd never done that because of this you know not everything's going to run smoothly you look at christmas and the whole uh debacle with the you know parcels going going missing or like the, the queues with every and whatnot but 
they are out of our control. But the time, that time when we were young and it was, uh, I think it was January 2020, we were in China, some vests went missing. We had some more coming on the way and we'd, you know, we wait for them to clear customs and we put them online and it just, it just fucked things up for us. And it was very early on. And that could have been make or break if, you know, there was more publicity around it and, you know, it was a slap on the wrist and we learnt from it. But essentially, yeah, we learnt from that point on, greed kills and we will never do that again because if you do that on a bigger scale, you're finished. So powerful, boys. One one more thing, and again, I want this to be like real practical from lessons we've learnt, is especially when you're starting up, is don't over-leverage yourself. And what I mean by that is if you're working with other companies and you, and they're providing a service, be careful of getting roped into six to 12-month contracts. And the only reason being that is a lot of people can see that coming. Now, if someone, what we found, if they're very good in the service they provide and they believe in what they're doing, you know, you can suggest to do something on a month basis. Now, if that person providing the service is that good, they will be happy to say, I'll prove to you how good we are and then look at a longer term something. But often at times you can over leverage yourself and sign up for something for six months, whether it's a media agency, for example, we've worked with quite a few media agencies and the good ones will say, no worries, well, after a month you'll want to sign up for six months. But don't over leverage yourself to start with because it can be quite hard to get out of them and you can end up wasting a load of cash, which again, at a startup young stage is really important. I had a girl reach out to me the other day and she was saying, you know, from all these e-com founders that you've, that you've talked to and the advice from selling your stuff online, what, what kind of, you know, I've not got a lot of capital to start and this, that and the other. And I'm like, yeah, but if you believe in what you do, you, you don't need a lot of capital for what you're doing. You're talking about, you've already got the product because she'd already bought the product. I'm like, you're talking, you're, you're, you're literally like 10, 20 pound a day of ads away from, selling out all your product over say x amount of days like what's the risk here like you can go if you if you have to go get a job to make that to make make sure that you can do that and support your child as she's a young mum like just do that for for a month like yeah it's not people make it rocket science it doesn't have to be rocket science it doesn't have to be this massive big struggle that you make it half the struggle in people's heads is with their own mind mm. and with their own limited mindset and I want to go back to this, predicated on the fact of the of the systems and processes that were installed in your mind from your parents, from your from your from what you know in life. And that's why you have to question every narrative so that you can get over those blocks that kind of stop you from from growth. Because at every level of growth, when I was speaking to Iman Gadzi, he's had to go through so many mind blocks to keep pushing through these ceilings of levels and all all of you founders and everyone that does anything whether it's tens of millions millions onwards you all have to push through so many fucking limiting beliefs that people don't talk about mm. and you've and and there'll be limiting beliefs in your minds yet that we won't know until you get to the next echelon when you get to 20 mil you'll be like oh, fuck i didn't even realize i had that limiting belief and then you go 30 and you know, there's they they present themselves at all different levels. Never never discount that. But God, lads, I'd loved having you on here and, and dropping these bombs with you. But if there's like, if you both had to check out the world tomorrow, you're checking out. You can't leave free train. You can't leave anything else. But you can leave some absolute banging pearl of wisdom for this for this audience today. That's going to empower them and help them get to the next level. That that little one percent that unlocks that box. What would it be? When making decisions for yourself, make it the decision that you would want for your child. So Fucking that's powerful, bro. So my son, 
I now look at the decisions I make for myself and put myself as my own as my own dad. So I'll take myself out of that equation and I will say what is best for my son at that decision at that time because I'm there to protect him. Every decision I make, even though it might be the hard one, it's for him. So I'd say it's even the same with your business. If you are struggling or if you don't know whether to turn left or right or there's a harder decision than the other one, take yourself one step further and put yourself in that position where you could say, if you want the best for that person, which is yourself and it should be yourself, what advice would you give? And when you come to that answer, you make that decision. Yeah, I like get that. Follow, I felt it? I felt that I felt that as well. You you got you you got a bit to do here. It, 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 it's not going to be as deep as that. I think mine would be get to know yourself as well as you can, as quick as you can. Because I think once you're comfortable with yourself in terms of you're comfortable in your own company, you know what you're good at, you know what you're not necessarily good at. The sooner you can become comfortable with yourself, I think that gives you a better opportunity to go out there and do what you want. Mate, that is just as powerful. That is just, they're, they're both powerful because I, I agree wholeheartedly with both of them. I really do. And and I thank you guys for being so open and honest with your journey with free train. Obviously, zero to zero to 10 mil plus now, boys. You've been on a fantastic tear. And I, I have no doubt that you're going to be another success story for Birmingham. And thank you so much for your time and coming on here today and dropping that knowledge. But guys, do me a solid favour, yeah? If you've got value out of this, which I no doubt, have no doubt in my mind that you will have, share it you know put it in the girls whatsapp group chuck it lads put it in the lads whatsapp group share it online on everything subscribe on all the platforms i i appreciate it wholeheartedly on every level like you wouldn't even believe i'm trying to build one of the biggest education podcasts that's ever been that actually helps people move the needle in their life i, f- I want you to feel that on every level because that's that's how i feel it in in every part of my soul when i create this content for you and i just love it on every level and yeah it means a lot to me so i appreciate all the support much love guys do me a solid favor drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next